Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's episode is an interview with two parts. We have, first of all, David Sparks, who's the director of a new film called The Fifth Shadow, which he's uh, been trying to finish for years, and it's a very interesting tale. It's a thriller, guys. Lloyd, it's a dark psychological tale of an artist in crisis, which I think means that we can't talk much about it because it's full of twists and turns, you know. I'm looking forward to seeing it later in the year, hopefully, but it's the kind of film where you can't know too much about it going in. You love those kinds of films, don't you? Just Absolutely. It sounds like something I can relate to as well, the subject matter. <laughs> yes, everyone's an artist in crisis these days. Well, it's a, some kind of journey into his subconscious. There's a marriage as well. It's very fascinating. And the second part of uh, this episode we have is uh, Naveen Hanna, who's uh, his lead actress, in the film The Fifth Shadow, and uh, she'll be giving us a short, kind of a bonus uh, bonus interview at the end of this as well, so stick around for that. And uh, at the end, we'll tell you how you can find out more about The Fifth Shadow. But for now, enjoy the interviews. To the beat, y'all. Hit it. David Sparks, welcome to Pod Me If You Can. Thanks very much for taking the time for an interview. No worries. How are you going? I'm doing quite well. Now, I understand that your film, The Fifth Shadow, is near completion now. It is, yes. It's been a long road, but uh, we are finally at the other end of the tunnel. Well, very close to it anyway. That's it. And I mean, uh, I haven't seen the film personally, but um, I'm very intrigued by the story because... This started about nine years ago, didn't it? It did, yeah, yeah, somewhere around then. It was, uh, yeah, it started out as a short film, and the idea was to to uh, do something pretty quick. I'd made a few short films before that. The idea sort of evolved, and then it jumped to a novel, and I started writing a novel for probably about six months, six or eight months, and then uh, I was. For one reason or another, I was pulled back to the idea of actually making a really super low-budget feature film. And that was where it uh, sort of really started. I figured that I may as well have a go at making a feature, which I'd always wanted to do. And I'd been down the path of trying to get funding through the government and through other sources and stuff before, but it hadn't worked out. And I'd seen friends go down that same path and uh, almost get there and peak um, right at the 11th hour. And I just sort of figured, well, the only way to eliminate that for sure is to do it myself and to cut the middleman out, which is what I did. So I uh, decided to write something that was shootable on a pretty low budget, get a way to get the money that I needed once I'd written it, which is pretty much what I did. And I was fortunate enough to find a group of people wanting to get behind me and... Uh, they pretty much allowed me to make the film the way they want to, and they've been fantastic. So it's been a bit of a dream. It's uh, 
are, are you a writer and director by trade? Like, what is uh, what experience did you have in film before doing the feature? Oh, I'd made, uh, I guess, half a dozen short films before that. I'd worked in TV for a long time as an editor and cutting promos and trailers and stuff like that. But there's that creative buzz inside you, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah I, I guess just a film lover. It's, uh, yeah, I was always about making a feature. And There's something so much more credible about a feature, and I've always thought that if you've made, say, you know, 10 or 12 shorts, you basically made a feature. So you could have just made one in that time. <laughs> yeah, I probably could. Have. Yeah, well, I probably could have made 12 features in the time. I mean, 12 shorts in the time that, I'm, uh, that I've taken to make this one. But um, it is a whole different beast, I have to say. From my limited experience making short films, it's, uh, it's a very different thing. I agree with the idea that um, short films is, is necessarily... A stepping stone to making features. It's uh, it is in some ways, but I think it's uh, apples and oranges. I think they're two totally different things. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> Did you have trouble like uh, the crews? You were saying you got together a group of people. Getting together a group of people was that all from your film short film experiences to work on the feature? Oh, uh, partially. Yeah, I've had a um, uh, my DP Gideon is someone that I've worked with on four or five shorts, I think, for that. And I've known now for almost, I guess, almost 20 years, I suppose. Um, so he's a good friend and he was uh, he was always going to shoot the film. So who, I guess, had come from short films and stuff. But other people just came on board through, you know, people that you know, people that had worked with in TV, a linking, I guess, of, uh, of networks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen some of the footage of the film. It's very well shot and it's sort of cryptic give us the uh the plot of the film in or the pitch in so many words i suppose the uh the film itself is about a middle-aged man henry blank who's a washed up artist and um he's i guess experiencing a fairly large amount of creative block and at the same time his marriage of 20 years is falling apart and he discovers that his wife is having an affair and his whole life uh, kind of falls apart really, at, at that exact moment. His career is dead and his uh, relationship is dead and um, he has a, a pretty serious mental breakdown. And then the film kind of takes off from there in a way. It uh, sort of goes internal, I guess, in a way, um, into the head of Henry Blank and explores a lot of different things that I'm interested in in terms of philosophy and psychology and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's a fairly detailed film. Sorry, is there a frustrated artist in you? Is that sort of the Henry Blank painting? Is um, you, Have you done the, <laughs> the paintings for the film? or No, I didn't do the paintings for the film. My mum's an artist, so she was able to do those. But um, uh, I guess there probably is a frustrated artist in me. The frustrated artist would probably be a filmmaker, but I'm almost 40 now, so I suppose I wish I had been talking to you about my first feature when I was in my early 20s. Yeah, Orson Welles is a tough uh, <laughs> tough peg to catch, isn't he, starting so young? Yeah, yeah, these people that accomplish things earlier, uh, yeah, they're quite annoying. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I suppose it is, but uh, I guess thematically the film is about a fear of failure so that's probably something that comes up a little bit for me yeah i mean over nine years like there's some art of perfecting it as well but i mean let's get into like you did how long did it take to do the screenplay were you sort of heading towards production in about a year or 
I guess, yeah, it took a few years to write. It went through a few drafts and then um, I got to a stage where I was quite happy with it and I made the decision. Everything sort of started to come together really quickly once I made the mental decision that I was going to shoot it and it was pretty close to, to ready to shoot. And it all really happened very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it was a long shoot. We we shot the film for uh, about 12 months. So... Yeah, it wasn't a, a case of get in and, uh, and get out as quick as we could. There was stuff that we shot and then we reshot and reshot. And just because for one reason or another, I mean, this happens on micro-budget films, you know, stuff, uh, logistically, stuff just doesn't always work out the way that you would want it to. So um, happy accidents happen. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I learned is you've just got to be open to those sort of accidents because a lot of the times they're amazing. And particularly when you see the rushes sometimes, it's, you, you might think on set that something has failed or it hasn't worked and, and uh, it's not till you get, get to the rushes and you realise, well, there's something uh, kind of magical here that I didn't even, didn't even realise on the day. So... You uh, you mentioned you spent about six months writing it into a novel. How far did you get? Uh, well, I didn't finish the first draft, if that answers your question, but I was a few hundred pages in. I'd written quite a lot. It was substantially different to what the film is now. It was, uh, yeah, I think the thing that I found about novel writing, and this is why I've got so much respect for novelists, is that uh, as a as a writer, I mean, as a novelist, I mean, there's kind of no boundaries, and that was the issue that I found. At least as a film, you've got um, kind of limits. Yeah. yeah, you've got restrictions. You've got limitations on Particularly if you're intending on making it, you know that you can't write certain things into it because you just feasibly can't do them. So there are restrictions, and that kind of keeps you in check a little bit. But when you're writing a novel, it's sort of, you know, there are no rules, not in my opinion anyway. So it's kind of... I just found myself writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And uh, <laughs> so, wow, this could go on forever. Robert Rodriguez famously, uh, you know, lists up a bunch of things that he has at his disposal, you know, before making a film. Uh, you know, his buddy has a car. He has access to a wheelchair. He can get a <laughs> replica shotgun and he works them all into the script, you know. Sure. Did you find yourself looking around your house saying, I've got a guitar, I've got a BMW? <laughs> well, we, I had a house that was uh, a main location for the shoot. That was the main. Uh, that was the main thing, I guess, that I checked off on my list was um, the actual location, which was my sister and her husband. They uh, had a f- probably a few years earlier had just mentioned to me at one point that if I ever wanted to shoot a film at their house, um, that they were they were open to the idea. And I think at the time they probably didn't think that I would take them seriously. But, yeah, it was a couple of years later I, I went back to them and said, well, I'm going to take up on that offer. So I used – I'd written the script with their house in mind, which is this um, cool little cottage up in the Hunter Valley of New South Wales. Yeah, when I'd written it, I went back to them and told them that uh, I was ready and I wanted to use their house. So – they were amazing. They uh, agreed to move out of the house for, a, I guess, the best part of a month for the initial first shoot. They moved out of the house and they gave the crew, the cast and crew, the whole um, property for, yeah, the the best part of four weeks. They went on holiday and uh, we just kind of turned this house upside down and were able to turn it into the house of Henry Blank, which was which was amazing. It was a it was a really great experience not just from the filming but i guess from a life experience because the cast and crew literally moved into this house and we sort of lived this experience for for a few weeks and 
yeah, it had it had its up and down, but its ups and downs. But uh, it was great. It was really cool to totally immerse yourself in the the world of the film and to shoot it night and day. So, so night shoots as well, then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there were times where we were shooting for twenty hours a day. So it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty full on. Yeah, no, I mean, this sounds like, and I'm sure this is no understatement, that it's been consuming nine years of your life. (laughs) Yeah, it's quite consuming. I mean, I've had a child in that time, and she's now two, and that was well after the film had been shot. So um, it is getting close to adolescence, I suppose you could say, which is probably the time where I should let it go. That's the difficult part, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) um, So you would classify it as a thriller, unorthodox, or...? first half of the film is probably a bit of a domestic drama being about the breakdown of marriage which is pretty much what the first hour of the film is about so the cheating wife stuff i mean you're married is the inspiration from the story some people you know i hope uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not from me personally no it's, i don't know i mean i guess it's uh, for me personally it was just a look a relationship my uh, yeah no it's just uh, it was just a look at a relationship it wasn't anything all that close to me i love people i love philosophy i love psychology so it was just something that i kind of wanted to investigate it's it's sort of a an attempt to look at the way that people treat each other particularly people that supposedly love each other um they're quite cruel the two characters in the film are, are really savage to each other kind of real which is kind of sad in a way. We're a strange breed, I think, human beings. And um, that's, I guess, something that interested me. So tell me about uh, your lead actor. Who plays Henry Blanks? Uh, his name is Joel McElroy. He's um, he's an Australian actor. He's uh, done a bit of work on Australian television. He's done some films. I think he was nominated for a AFI, or he might have won an AFI for a film that he made. Um, yeah, he's been around been around the traps for a while he's a fantastic actor he's uh, all-consuming kind of guy he's uh, he's pretty full-on and it was worth having joel on on the film for that and for a whole heap of other reasons he uh, he really took on the role and he took on the responsibility of a lead actor in a micro-budget film and helped the film um get finished and uh you know he helped lesser experienced cast and crew. I mean, the film is about his character, about Henry Blank and about the way that this man deals with with crisis that he's going through. And uh, Joel, yeah, more than lived that, I suppose you would say. So yeah, it was an amazing experience working with him. Uh, I just thought for audio reasons, I'll just mention for listeners, uh, it's starting to rain here in Melbourne, uh, which is classic Melbourne. So um, we're getting a bit of pitter-patter on my tin roof. Hopefully you'll be able to ignore it and enjoy the rest of the interview, though. <laughs> Put me on set. You know, day one, you're a writer-director. This is your first feature film. What's day one like for you? Um, nerves or...? No, day one was amazing. It was just... Yeah, it's, uh, it was amazing. It... Was, was it a risk, do you think, having 40 different cast members? Or was that sort of integral to the story? That's a lot of sort of people to manage. Yeah, but I didn't find... The idea of managing people an issue, to be totally honest. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a bit of fun, really, when everyone was there for the same thing. And yeah, I, I, I suppose the experience in having that many people around, and particularly in the same environment, and a lot of them were, were um, staying and sleeping in the, in the location where we were shooting. It kind of, 
uh, I don't know, it kind of bred this amazing sort of energy where everyone was coming up with great ideas that we could do and we, yeah, I mean, the film evolved so much from what was on the page and what was sort of in my head just by having that environment that we somehow um, created. And I guess when more people came on the set and cast turned up, they just engaged with that energy. I, we had a journalist that came at one point about halfway through the shoot and uh, came to hang out and yeah, she was a little bit uh, in shock at what was going on she was she was just uh, mystified she was like wow this is quite crazy mm-hmm. well it sounds like everybody's at camp you know you're all enjoying yourselves <laughs> it kind of was like that yeah yeah so yeah i mean having you know, 40 cast members i'd to be honest, I don't think it would have been different if we had 20 or 60. It was just, uh, that's just what it was. And everyone just came on and did their part and everyone really got into it. I think uh, 9 out of 10 people, if you asked them if they had a good experience, they'd probably say that they did. So, so what was your biggest challenge on set? I guess the biggest challenge was time. Um, you never can schedule in how long stuff is going to take. I mean, you can try as hard as you want and give yourself as much leeway as possible but I think on a micro budget film and particularly the way that I tend to work which is pretty free from uh, it takes a lot longer than you think so time is the biggest thing the first day we ran over something like seven hours on the schedule on day one so it, di- it didn't look good from <laughs> from day one we did manage to peg it back a bit over the next couple of days and, uh, and reshape the schedule yeah time is the is the thing that you can just never get right it's certainly not for me anyway i'm sure the filmmakers out there that work nowhere near like i did but uh, yeah, for me personally i uh, i think time is is just so valuable you know you could spend five years shooting a film uh, yeah and in saying that uh, having a great first ad is probably the most valuable thing that you can have on set particularly in a no budget film a great first ad someone there to just sort of keep the ship steering in the right direction when chaos is kind of erupting is uh, is invaluable so you shot over 150 hours of footage did i read uh, yeah, probably more than that, but yeah, yeah, at least that. <laughs> and do you have a favourite moment that's made it into the film? You don't have to spoil anything, but um, is there something that you look at and you say, oh, filming that was amazing, or that's come out looking amazing, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of those moments. There's probably one sequence that I that is really close to my heart that did make it into the final film. There's quite a few things that are fortunately uh, through pacing or through time constraints or through, I don't know, a number of other situations, technical errors or something like that, haven't been able to get in. But yeah, there is a number of things that have got in, thankfully. But there's one in particular that I absolutely love. It was a, an amazing day where we broke into this um, into this location. We were looking for a, an old shack, something that was really decrepit, really uh, dilapidated. And uh, we this was after the initial shoot. This was a few months later, and we still hadn't shot this sequence. And we looked around for a while, and I had a few ideas on maybe where we could do it. But we got to the day where it was a case of we either do it now or we probably won't do it. So we were fortunate enough to have a um, one of the runners that we had on set was from the area, and he knew a bit of a bit of the back streets and uh, I mean we're up in the Hunter Valley so he knew a bit of the um, land around there and he managed to find this old I can't even remember what you would call it but it's a really old two-story cottage something from um, the colonial era very very old and it was 
definitely unlivable. But we found this place and it was certainly not, we weren't supposed to be there. It was totally boarded up, but we broke in. We, yeah, we spent, we spent a couple of days in this location. It was just amazing. But it was about five or six inches deep in pigeon shit and, uh, and rat shit. And um, the whole crew and cast had to wear uh, dust masks and <laughs> goggles. It was, yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was a bit of an OH&S nightmare. But uh, fortunately, we were all good. And, and uh, I think the environment kind of added to, the, to what we ended up getting on screen. It's a, it's a wonderful sequence. It, I think it is anyway. And so, yeah. So, yeah, it was... I saw in yeah I saw in some of the footage uh, there was a snake. Now is that somebody's snake or is there a snake handler? <laughs> <laughs> we did have snake handlers. Yeah, yeah, that was something that happened at the last minute. The scene was written the way that it was, and then I think someone else had the idea. Maybe we should uh, see if we get a snake. And yeah, fortunately it all just came together and came together really quickly. And all of a sudden, Paul, my producer, just said, uh, "We've got a snake coming to set." later this afternoon so the snake turned up and um well the snake handler came and he had quite a few snakes in the back of his truck and he let us pick which one we could use so yeah that was a great experience and the actor um joel had a uh, really beautiful moment with this with this snake you'll see it it's in the film it's uh, yeah it's cool do you mind telling us the budget of the film? I know you've said micro budget a couple of times. Is that? Yeah, I don't know to be honest. I mean, it's it's under a hundred grand, but um, exactly what it is, I couldn't tell you to be totally honest. It's um, yeah, it's... hard to put a price on all the extra hours of editing and stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. If I got paid for all of the time that uh, I'd spent on the film, I'd be a fairly wealthy person, I think. So tell me about uh, Kickstarter. You decided. You needed Kickstarter to help finance the post-production, was it? Yeah, yeah, just to get through the last stage of um, post-production, basically. I'd, uh, I'd got the film to a certain point and we needed to do some pickups. It wasn't, the editing hadn't been totally completed and still needed to score the film. So I just decided to do a Kickstarter campaign. So, yeah, I spent a bit of time on that and, um, yeah, we launched it and it was a, yeah, it was pretty successful yeah no I, I saw you reached your goal so congratulations yeah cheers yeah uh, so many don't uh, you know it's so easy for people to say no and and pass but obviously you had a, a supportive group and uh, a great campaign on kickstarter so well done yeah yeah i did i did quite a lot of research on um on crowdfunding and sort of came up with a plan on why i thought certain um campaigns worked and why they didn't and approached it that way i think the biggest challenge for crowdfunding in my opinion uh, certainly with um films is reaching outside your initial circle i suppose it's uh, maybe for shorter i mean smaller amounts of money it might not necessarily be as important but um, we were after i think 12 grand and i kind of figured maybe i'd be able to get half of that money through people that i know and through extended people from my initial um, circle or network. Um, but I, I knew at some point that we were going to have to somehow find a way to reach outside of that network to get people. And um, I'm a real Luddite when it comes to things like Twitter and um, and social media and all that sort of stuff. So it was a, it was a bit of a learning curve to um, figure out a way to reach those people. And through a few online film magazines in Europe and in the States, we managed to um, reach some people and um, we... Yeah, so we we did. I mean, I don't know how many. I think you can go on Kickstarter and look at the stats and stuff and figure out where a lot of the um, people came from. But I I know that we did 
uh, managed to reach outside that circle and um, and reached a few distributors as well, which I've I've had contact with. So they're kind of keen to see the film when it's finished as well, which all came about through the crowdfunding. So that's good as well. And uh, also you, you've you given as a prize, uh, you'll be cooking for some people, coming around to their house, playing them the film and, and cooking. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I certainly am. I used to be a chef, so um, cooking is something that I love. And uh, I sort of figured, well, you know, if I go around and cook some food for some people and hang out with them and show them some of the film and uh, maybe take someone from the cast or crew with me and have a bit of a night on the food and drink some wine and have a good chat it might be worth someone's uh, someone's while to help me get over the line and fortunately i think we got three people that uh, came on board for that so um something to yeah. look forward to <laughs> <laughs> it is it is unfortunately i'm pretty slow and uh, because the uh, film has taken as long as it has, I uh, I haven't been able to actually go and fulfil that part of the Kickstarter campaign yet, but I will. I, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going and doing that. Well, I hope that they're listening and uh, they can have a preview of the menu, maybe uh, ribs or <laughs> steak. <laughs> so you also you mentioned on the Kickstarter that you wanted to blow a door off the front of a house and keep the house intact. Now tell me that you got to film that. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, we never actually did that. It it, uh, it didn't happen. It was um, it was something that we'd spent a lot of time thinking about, and I'd spoken to some people in the industry that deal with that sort of stuff, with some effects people, and uh, and gone all the way down of drawing up blueprints on how it would be and the uh, the location. And yeah, we went almost all the way to the point of actually doing it, but in the end, it just wasn't feasible. It was I couldn't find a way to do it that was um, that I could sort of justify the money on it. Couldn't be done for free, unfortunately. How much, cheap. Does, how much does it cost to do something like that? Pretty expensive. Yeah, it's pretty expensive to do it uh, to do it in a way that wouldn't have potentially structurally damaged the house. Yeah, it's pretty expensive. But look, I'm sure it could have been done with CGI, but it just wasn't something that I was interested in doing with CGI. So we wanted to do it with real effects, and doing it with real effects meant. Uh, yeah, meant quite a lot of labour and the building of a fairly decent size apparatus. So it was, uh, yeah, look, again, I can't remember, but it was a lot of money. It was, yeah, it was over 10 grand to do something like that. And that's yeah. 10 seconds on film, maybe. So <laughs> yeah. A second, yeah. yeah, probably not even that. And uh, it would have been amazing. Uh, the way the edit is, it's not needed. So, yeah, it's, I was thinking about that this morning, actually. It's funny. Yeah, that, it's lucky that we didn't do that shot because, um, yeah, the whole scene, the way that it is now is, uh, is designed uh, in a way that that wouldn't have even been needed. So I probably would have cut it, even if we'd shot it. Okay. So did you shoot on film? No, we shot on uh, primarily on Mark IIs, the 5D a little bit on 7D, but, um, yeah, pretty much 95% of it was shot on a, on a Mark II. They're amazing. It's, uh, yeah, it's an incredible bit of technology, and it's allowed me to shoot a film that had I shot on, even on 16 mil, would have cost me millions of dollars. I'm intrigued by uh, the technique of hand-painting frames. Can you tell us about that? I probably can't tell you a whole lot about that. It's, uh, it's yeah, there's a sequence in the film reveals 
exactly what what uh, you're referring to right now, and I'd probably rather not talk about it too okay, much. Okay, that's uh, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's no big secret. It's just, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably rather not talk about it. All right, but it's it's an interesting film technique, no doubt, as is cloud tanking. Do you want to uh, inform us what that is? Yeah, well, cloud tanking is a really old technique. It's, um, I mean, it's been used in science fiction films since uh well probably 60 or 70 years ago it's a it's um it's a technique where you get a uh let's say a fish tank a really large fish tank and you fill it with water and um through a technique of different lighting you get a camera and then you can drop certain types of ink different colored ink into the top of the tank and you film that and if you uh depending on the speed of the film um you get different effects on the ink dropping into the clear water uh, if you've blacked out the tank and stuff like that. I know that uh, Space Odyssey used the technique quite a lot. Probably most recently a film like Tree of Life used cloud tanking a lot. Um, one of my favourite science fiction films of the last sort of 20 years, a film called uh, Beyond, the, I think it's, yeah, Beyond the Black Rainbow, used it a lot in a really fantastic way. Yeah, it's a, it's a real uh, in-camera technique of creating cra- uh, clouds and supernovas and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. So uh, we've managed to utilise that technique a little bit in film. Some effects, uh, probably not in the traditional um, way, but yeah. I, there's a little bit of CGI in the film, but uh, I, I love practical effects. So we've tried to keep it, keep it as uh, real, I suppose you'd say, as possible. I mean, Mad Max Fury Road showed us that practical effects are the best kinds. Um, Absolutely. You know, and six Oscars later. Uh, <laughs> is, is, that how many, is that how many it won? Yeah, six. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? That's the most for an Aussie film, so it's... You know, and we're at that now, you know, that's 2016. Here we are. <laughs> Only that's, way is up. That's fantastic. You know, obviously nine years is a long chunk of time. Has it put you off doing more films in the future, or do you think you'd do this all again? <laughs> every couple of days i would say the answer would be i'll never do this again it just wavers i i do have a couple of ideas that have come up in the last few months that i'd like to pursue yeah i'm certainly not going to give away filmmaking um not at all i mean i love i love the process and uh and i love the film it's uh yeah it's been uh, an amazing experience um had I known that it was going to take close to 10 years, I probably still would have done it, to be honest. I'd love to do something that I can do and get done and finished quickly as my next project, just to get something else out of the way, I guess. That's probably the way that I would think about it. But, that yeah, sounds no, like a short film, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I'd like to think that I could do a feature quickly, but uh, they're all dreams. Well, uh, Terence Ma- uh, Malik might be a model for you. Tree of Lifestyle. Um, you know, it took years at the beginning to make films. You know, you get a Terence Malick film every decade, and then now he's knocking one out every other year. I know, but is there a is there I don't know is there a quality indication in those recent films that he's made? Or well, we've co- we've co- been covering them off on the podcast. Um, we, Tree of Life was actually the very first episode of Pod Me If You Can, and uh, I do believe we are going to do. Uh, Knight of Cups, which, just as a preview, I think the quality control has gone out the window. Um, yeah, I might agree with you to a certain degree. I think uh, To the Wonder I thought was amazing. I thought uh, it, it, uh, it was probably one of his most accessible films probably since 
I'll probably see the thin red line, but did watch Night of Cups the other night. It's uh, yeah, I mean, it's still Terence Malick. I love Terence Malick, and I love his technique. But yeah, it, I do wonder why he's making so many films. Well, his cinematography is fantastic, and uh, actors keep wanting to work with him, so they're not going to turn him down. <laughs> Are those the type of films you'll watch, like uh, for your own entertainment, for inspiration? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll watch almost anything, to be honest. But uh, I do love Terence Malick. I love uh, I love films like that. I love Andre Tarkovsky. He's probably one of my favourite filmmakers. And I think watching Tarkovsky and then watching Malick, you can see that Terence Malick certainly um, admires Tarkovsky. Uh, I love yeah, Stanley Kubrick, Alfred Hitchcock, a lot of different filmmakers. So tell us, um, we'll start to conclude, what's going to happen with The Fifth Shadow? What are the steps now? How can people see it in the future? Where to from here? The first step, once the film is finished, is to go down the festival circuit. It was always aimed at uh, festivals. It's a fairly... Um, it's a it's an art film. I mean, yeah, it, it is an art film, so it's going to do well uh hopefully with festivals um so that would be the first path um the movies channel which is the foreign film channel on foxtel have the australian television rights so once it's finished its festival run world movies is going to premiere it um for australian tv audiences as for the rest of the world i don't know i'm you know the uh yeah i don't know yeah we'll just have to wait and see what happens hopefully it gets picked up through whatever uh, means happen between now and then. I mean, it's such a tra- changing environment so quickly. It's uh, I've got a friend that's got a film at the moment, sort of in that in that whirlwind of trying to find distribution, and they're being offered a lot of on-demand type stuff, and, um, and you know Netflix and Stan and whatever those other ones are called. Yeah, all um, the streaming stuff. Yeah, all that streaming stuff. But uh, from what I've been told, there's they're not all that. They're not coming, yeah, they're not coming forward with the money. I mean, they want, you know, they're keen to go, you know, we'll put it on our service and we'll we'll um, promote it and stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's still nice to be offered a little bit of money. I would have thought uh, iTunes wouldn't be bad for that. I'm not sure what the ratio is, how much yeah, you get. For... Yeah, yeah, I, I think iTunes, I think even Vimeo now do that sort of stuff. But um, who knows? I mean, it, to be honest, it is a part of the process that I'm not, uh, all that experience in, so it's it's another learning curve, I guess the the whole sales and marketing part of the the process. But fortunately, I've got the people at World Movies and uh, and at SBS who um, are kind of have offered to give me a hand with all that sort of stuff. So they've been amazing. So uh, tell us the the website, the Facebook, Twitter. If you you mentioned you were a bit of a luddite on Twitter, but <laughs> I, to be honest, I can't even remember what the Twitter account is called. I'm sure it's the Fifth Shadow, whatever something. The Fifth Shadow. Yeah, we're on Facebook, the Fifth Shadow again. Uh, the Fifth Shadow dot com is our website. It's a numeral five, not the spelling of the word fifth. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 5th yeah so the number five and i'm on facebook as well dave sparks so um yeah come and have a chat follow the film through absolutely yeah yeah we're nearly finished which is exciting yeah so look realistically are you working towards a date now or yeah the end of june yeah we hope to be totally finished by the end of june to uh work towards the festival's 
at the end of 2016, start of 2017, and uh, and from there, I suppose. But, yeah, we're looking at uh, having it totally wrapped up by the end of June. All right. Oh, well, we'll put the links for The Fifth Shadow in the description of this episode and on our Facebook and stuff so people will be able to easily find you and uh, follow the journey as well. Cool, man. Thanks very much, Dave. You've been uh, very generous with your time, and uh, we hope all the best for The Fifth Shadow. Thank you very much. Naveen Hanna, welcome to Pod Me If You Can. Thanks, David. Thanks for having uh, me. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to seeing The Fifth Shadow. I'm guessing that you might be looking forward to seeing it as well. I am. How many years has it been for you? Since we shot it. Yeah. I think we shot it in 2011. But I started talking with Dave maybe 2009 or possibly 2008. I could even be earlier than that. I'm not sure. Did it take a lot of commitment on your part uh, to, you know... Uh, hang in there on this project or was it relatively (laughs) short between signing on and shooting I suppose? It wasn't that short there was a lot of anticipation and a lot of setup required the casting process because Dave's a bit of a perfectionist so everything had to be just right the person had to be just right I, I was in there I was working on the script the whole time you'll know what I mean when you see the film <laughs> it's very layered. I mean, you say he's a perfectionist, you know. I mean, that must be flattering in a way to know that he chose you for this role. Yes, it is flattering. It's very flattering. And you've you've had some success yourself as an actress. Take me back to the beginning. Like, what was it that made you want to act in the first place? I, You know, I can't put my finger on it because it's something that was there from childhood. So I don't know what age it... Manifested? Yeah, it manifested. Um, year four, possibly. And then... I was in every school play and I had to have the lead role. I was so persistent with the teachers and it just went on from there. So it's something that's, um, I guess, driven me. It's a passion. Yeah, I mean, it's important, uh, passion in life. Yeah, I noticed as well, just I found your resume through a quick Google. Oh, yeah. And uh, I noticed you've done a bit of TV and a bit of film. Uh, do you have a preference? Not necessarily. It's always about the script. So I guess as long as the script is good and the character's really interesting, it doesn't matter what the medium is. And, I mean, it's got to be great when you sign on to popular shows like when Pack to the Rafters was on. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's always fun because you're working with talented people and you get to feed off their energy for a while and and share and collaborate and that's really exciting. And uh, the principal was just given a Logie Award, so that must be great. Yes, I know. That was fantastic. I expected that to do so well because of the, the script was so amazing and daring. So if it was put together well, then I was sure people were going to respond to it. And it's, as it turned out, that's, that's exactly what happened. And that was really fun. Um, do you still find yourself auditioning and having those kind of terrible experiences that all actors dread? I guess so. Not so much anymore. I'm a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) I don't take things personally because I've matured and understand that process. Having cast some things as well, knowing that it's not about this actor, they could be brilliant, but you know, it's, it's a particular character and it's, it's got to have the right energy. So someone that might not be as good in the performance might just have that right energy. You know what I mean? If you had you know uh, overseas aspirations have you done the hollywood thing and tried out for pilot season things like that i haven't i haven't gone over there but i have had some auditions for pilot season my agent travels over there a few times a year so she's made a lot of contacts so 
I've had a few opportunities. Is that something you want or? I don't know. I guess at a certain age you, you know, you have a family and you're settled where you are and you don't want to, um, I don't know, put yourself out there so much. You, If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If there's an opportunity, I'll go over for sure, but I'm not going to go there chasing it because I have a family and I don't want to put them all through that. I guess. I suppose it's yeah. a young young person's game. I've seen That's a few right. of those. That's right, a single person's game. Mm. <laughs> sure. I've seen uh, Next Stop Hollywood, you know, I can see the toll it takes. That's right. <laughs> How about act- actors or actresses that inspire you? Do you have favourites, people you watch everything they're in regardless of quality? I think I watch all, all those great actors regardless of quality. And everybody, everybody loves Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro and... All those great actors that have been around our whole lifetime performing, but there's there's newbies like Ryan Gosling and even Guy Pearce and people like that that I look at them and think, wow, you know, their their work is just so layered and amazing. So no, I mean Kate Blanchett, I could rattle off a thousand names. <laughs> <laughs> I passed Guy Pierce in the street. He's one of my favourite actors, and I'm still still kicking myself that I didn't talk to him. Oh wow! You should yeah. have. That would have been I amazing. I just feel like it was such a weird day, and it was so surreal. And then the moment came and went, and I went, "Oh, that's Guy Pierce." And I said that to my wife, and then suddenly Guy Pierce wasn't in front of me anymore. Oh, what a shame! You missed that opportunity. I know it's a strange You'll one to be starstruck. Never forget that day. No, no, but one day, one day we will get <laughs> That's there. Right. Yep. <laughs> how about um, how about uh, what should I say? This uh, directors, uh, the people you want to work with, are there? You know, um, even Australian ones. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's just good to be working, I suppose. I want to be working. Yes, exactly. For yeah. sure. And then there's something to love and admire about everyone out there that's producing good work. Well, tell us about The Fifth Shadow. Who is your character and uh, how does she fit into the story? Give us a bit of a sales pitch. Okay. Um, Her name is Jane Blank. So she's the lead character's wife. I'm not sure how much I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll try and be as vague as possible. I guess it's a story about relationships, marriage in particular, the trials and tribulations of that, how people deal with, with breakup it's quite intense in a lot of ways. Takes it's a thriller, you, isn't it? it? It is a thriller. And so it does put you at your at the edge of your seat a lot of the time. And you're always trying to figure out what's going on. So it you know, it gives you it stimulates you mentally the whole time. And I mean you're married, so were you able to incorporate any of, you know, uh, kind of the sense memory of marriage into your character or is it completely different? <laughs> I don't know how to say this. I guess I don't have those traumatic experiences that the character had. So uh, you're proficient in most accents, according to your resume. Yeah. Yeah. Is most accents, you know, I mean, have you? has anyone questioned that or had you do French or anything in an audition? Or um, Yeah, I've been called to do lots of auditions. I do them really well. I suppose acting, people see it as... Um, you know, uh, only a select few are chosen from a massive pool of people. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that, that want that profession and it's a fantastic thing to aspire to. Did you have any professional training or um, anything well, I at did, the beginning? Well, I did do lots of training. I mean, a lot of a lot of younger people go in looking at the glamorous side and what it means to be an actor, the red carpet and the the glamour of it all. But you don't you don't hang around if you're not really driven by the craft. 
you would have had to do some training if you are driven by the craft just to learn some techniques and, and just hone up and um, exercise those muscles that you might need for different characters. So, yeah, I was always training for a long period of time in all different techniques. And then you develop your own style during that process. Yeah, people don't hang around if they're not really driven because there's a lot of disappointment. There's got to be something else pushing you forward. Well, I admire it. I'm uh, terribly stage fright myself. You wouldn't catch me in front of too many cameras. I, I do a little bit for the podcast, but it's very controlled in my own little world. So well done. Um, Thank you. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing The Fifth Shadow. Um, Thank you very do, much. Do you have anything uh, upcoming as well that you'd like to plug or anything you can tell us about what you're working really, on next? I'm always, I'm always working on some something, usually little things throughout the year. I just did a, a little role on Hide and Seek a few weeks ago. It's a new TV series. The Combination 2. I'm not sure if you saw The Combination 1. I have not, no. Okay. That's an Australian film that was released, I think, 2009 by George Basher. And he's cast me in the second one, which will be filming. I'll be going into rehearsals next week. So I think we're filming mid-June to mid-July. Um, and I'll finish with, I suppose, uh, what is your dream role? Like, is there a character you have always thought you could play or, uh, you know, is thriller your, your genre? Is you know? My husband thinks I'm, I should be doing comedy. I love doing comedy. I guess it depends on what you look like and who's writing roles for somebody that looks like you. So I guess starring in a Woody Allen film, that would be awesome. <laughs> well, you could always um, put pen to paper and write something for yourself. Yes, um, I, I guess so. <laughs> just don't believe in my writing skills enough, I guess. Oh, well, just write what you know, I suppose. Which, yeah, um, that's good advice. That's what they always say. Yeah, good advice. Well, thank you for your time, Naveen. Thank uh, you, we're David. All, the plug will be up on the um, on the website. Uh, there's going to be lots of links for people to find The Fifth Shadow, and um, we'll see it eventually after all these years. Yes, eventually. <laughs> we're as excited as you are, and um, <laughs> thanks very much for speaking with us. Thank you, David. Well, guys, that was David Sparks talking about The Fifth Shadow and as well Naveen Hanna, who was discussing her role in the film. And uh, we were actually speaking during her interview about um, an upcoming project she's involved in. I didn't have any details on hand during the interview. She's mentioned she had a bit part in Hide and Seek, which actually stars Zoe Ventura. Uh, She was in Pact the Rafters and um, Wild Boys, and that's actually going to come out later this year on Channel 9, so you'll be able to see her on um, Australian TV screens soon. I mean, she's been in lots of stuff. Uh, Here Come the Habibs, and, you know, we've seen her face around the principal. I can't recommend enough if you guys want to check that out. Anyway, The Fifth Shadow, David Sparks's film. Uh, the information and links are all in the description of this episode on the website, and uh, we'll put that up on the Facebook page as well. And I would like to throw our thanks out to David Sparks and Naveen Hanna, who were very generous with their time, and um, looking forward to seeing The Fifth Shadow come together after all these years. Uh, Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Pod Me If You Can. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening.
for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Review.